Welcome to On DoD on Federal News Network. Now your host, Jared Serbu. And thanks for joining us on the program this time. Two conversations with Defense Department Chief Information Officers. Later on in the hour, my colleague Jason Miller talks with Leo Garcia, the Army's new CIO. In that exclusive interview, details about his plans to institutionalize and simplify cloud computing across the Army, and a big push to get the service to start moving toward DoD's new JWCC cloud contract. First, though, up until a year ago, the Office of the Secretary of Defense was a bit of an outlier when it came to IT management and governance. Despite having 19,000 employees, there was no single person in charge of making sure those workers had a decent user experience and no one in charge of delivering common IT services. That changed last October when Danielle Metz became the OSD Chief Information Officer. She's here with us now to talk about that one-year anniversary, the office's annual report, and what's ahead. Ms. Metz, thanks for coming in. Uh, Good to see you in the studio. Uh, Let's talk about this first year. Uh, Talk to us a bit about what you think you've managed to accomplish. Well, thank you, Jared, for having me. It's really nice to be in the studio with you. Uh, It's hard to believe that we are celebrating our one-year anniversary of establishing the OSD CIO office. Um, We have accomplished a lot in the past year, and we just published our OSD IT State of the Union, if you will, an annual report highlighting uh, some key aspects of what we've done. Uh, The first piece what we had to do was create our vision to really establish why our value proposition for um, for the Deputy Secretary of Defense and her principal staff assistants, which are known as uh, OSD. Uh, so we came up with some ambitious, but we believe uh, right uh, goals for us. And the mission statement was really to establish a world-class IT digital environment so that the DOD leaders, the senior leaders, are able to make effective uh, decisions uh, and so in order to be able to do that, we established three goals. Uh, the, the first is really flipping the script um, from it being a service provider-led uh, modernization activity to a customer-driven. And what I mean by that is, is that we wanted to be able to unite the customer bases within the Pentagon. So it's representing not only OSD, but joint staff, the Department of Army. Those are the three main onboarded uh, customer bases that receive services from DISA, all of our services from DISA and the Pentagon Reservation. We also have Department of Navy, Department of Air Force, Coast Guard, um, combatant commands, et cetera, that are uh, customers for transport. Uh, So they have requirements and responsibilities as well. And so we wanted to be able to create and establish uh, forums, a governance structure to unite the customer base together. Uh, to be able to prioritize requirements, align modernization plans and activities, connect those to performance metrics, and then hold each other to account, the customer base as well as the service provider, to ensure that we are uh, delivering on what is needed, what the customers are requesting, and what they need to do to be able to execute their job. The second goal that we had was to treat OSD as a unified component. Um, So this has definitely been the mantra from the Deputy Secretary of Defense, Secretary Hicks. She wants OSD to be on par with that of a military department and joint staff. And so really that is stitching together these individual principal staff assistant organizations together to have a unified voice um, to be able to execute the mission on behalf of the secretary and this administration. In order to be able to do that, we need to make sure that we have an OSD IT enterprise. 
And so creating that community, changing that behavior so that we're not acting as individual components, but really as one voice that's leading the charge and recognizing that we have more in common uh, than we do in our uniqueness. And so it was a behavioral change. So there was a lot of activity that we needed to do in that. And I'll touch upon that in a little bit. The last one, which is really important to me, is maximizing the technology that we've implemented. So it's not enough for us just to deploy capabilities. I really want the users to be able to truly understand uh, what they have at their fingertips and how they can use that technology to be able to execute more effectively and efficiently um, their specific missions. And so those were the three goals that we laid out. And with each of the goals, we had uh, some objectives that we wanted to meet. Um, we came up with an implementation plan. Uh, we provided that to the deputy secretary uh, back in February. And then uh, we went to work in terms of getting that done. And so we laid a lot of the foundational activities of a governance structure, um, uniting OSD together, and then bringing the whole customer base that I touched on earlier. Uh, we went about codifying uh, roles and responsibilities, doing documentation so that people can really understand who's doing what to whom. And uh, we all are on the same page as it relates to that. Um, we've drafted a memorandum of agreement uh, between DISA as our service provider and OSD it's on common IT. And it really articulates those roles and responsibilities, the services that are being provided, the service level agreements, those performance metrics to make sure that we are receiving the right services um, and that we can track how the service provider is providing those services. Are they meeting the mark? Are they doing less and are they doing better? And then how we can collectively adjust that to ensure that, again, we're providing the best for, for our user base. And so those are a lot of the things that we've done. Um, and I think the most important thing I, I just want to say is creating that identity for OSD. So my team has done really great work um, doing listening sessions, engaging with each of the PSAs, understanding their concerns, their frustrations, what's working, what's not working, being able to synthesize all that together and come up with roadmaps in terms of how we can treat ourselves as a unified component with the capabilities for, for better uh, delivery. So yeah, it's been a busy year. A lot of disparate missions within within the population you serve, and I, I know at least as an initial goal, the idea here was to focus on common IT. Are you at a point yet where you've figured out exactly what those things are, what makes the most sense to do together as a unified enterprise? I do. I think we have a very good handle in terms of what we mean by common IT. And I think quite simply, it really is defined as end user devices in the network. And then the service desk that supports that. And so we have that baseline, that's what's really codified in the MOA that should be um, signed out relatively soon. And then I think once we professionalize and normalize and standardize common IT and how we engage and prioritize and resource effectively for those activities, that's a key foundational block for us to then to move uh, to mission IT. So I think, you know, you got to be able to uh, dribble the basketball before you can like either slam dunk it. And so right now what we have to do is we have to get our basics really well defined and understood and working 
uh, properly and getting those business processes to kind of undergird that. And then the next step would be building upon that to get to the more exquisite mission IT activities. Yeah. And one of those fundamentals, I think, has been the rollout of Microsoft 365 across the fourth estate and and starting this month, I, I think, up at the secret level, which is a big deal. Talk a bit about that rollout and how it's gone. Yes, that has been really extraordinary. We had a lot of success for the aisle five, uh, which was unclassified DoD 365. A lot of lessons learned. And one of the biggest things was ensuring that the user really understood the the complement of capabilities that were part of DoD 365, not just the collaboration tools, but the cloud-based OneDrive, how to really use Teams most effectively um, to be able to get the most out of it. Um, and then ensuring that we had the policy so we weren't hindering the use of Teams. Think, you know, laptops that had uh, cameras or microphones disabled, right? So we really wanted to be able to really standardize that enhanced experience with DoD 365. And so a lot of that was ensuring that we had champions and people understanding the capabilities that were being deployed. And so we launched uh, over the summer our DoD 365 campaign within uh, OSD. And so we've been holding uh, what we call DoD 365 Excite uh, days. And so we're partnered with DISA and Microsoft um, and uh, DISA as a service provider as well. And so we had one um, in July, we have one coming up October 25th in the Mark Center. And it's really getting those evangelists excited about the capabilities for those who are really uh, forward leaning into the technology. And then they can help their peers and colleagues as we roll out these capabilities. As it relates to aisle six, um, DISA has been hard charging on that. We have about 50,000 users on aisle six, and that's representative of uh, defense uh, agencies, field activities, some combatant commands. We have early adopters within OSD. I'm an early adopter. I love it. Um, And we're scheduled to bring the rest of OSD and the Pentagon reservation to uh, DOD 365 on aisle six um, in the next couple of weeks. Um, And then from there, we'll all be on the same modernized environment, and then we can continue to spiral in those additional capabilities like Teams, like OneDrive, and have the same experience that we have on the unclassified for our classified. And and talk a bit, if you could, about sort of the operational impact of having modern technology at the secret level. We were talking a bit off air that that the existing tools are fairly antiquated at this point. They're extremely antiquated Mm -hmm. and they're a a patchwork of things. And so over the past, I will say, 10 to 15 years, um, those who live on our classified environment to do their mission have had to really figure out how to kind of stitch together some collaboration capabilities and using really old school chat services that aren't very effective, um, aren't well used across the board. So you have different ways of being able to, to, need, to need to chat. Effectively, what aisle 6 DoD 365 does is it brings everybody together and we're all on team. So we're getting the same collaborative experience. We're able to do chat. We're able to do video. Um, we're able to collaborate on documents all at the same time. We're able to store it in a cloud-based environment, which is the OneDrive. None of that exists right now in a, on the classified environment, but we are at the precipice of having all of this at our fingertips. I, I may have this wrong, but am I right that in the past, SIPR hasn't really been one network? It's been a bunch of fragmented separate networks that that didn't always connect to each other very well. How much of that does having everybody on one 365 platform solve? Well, it's just like what we have on aisle five, because 
of the unclassified networks fragmented as well mm -hmm. because we all have different enterprises. A cloud-based approach allows us to look and feel and act as if we're on the same environment because we are, we're in the cloud. Um, the networks are still going to be what the networks are, and there's modernization activities associated with um, bringing those up to a better standardized um, and consistent digital experience. But I think we're showcasing the importance of being able to all be on in the same environment, to be able to work more jointly together, to collaborate across. And it reduces the need of the creativity of the workforce to figure out how to do it. That's what I don't want them to do. I want them to use their creativity to actually do their job. Our job is to ensure that they have the right capabilities and tools to do their job better. We're talking with Danielle Metz, the Chief Information Officer for the Office of the Secretary of Defense. We need to take a short break here and we'll come back and talk more about building those common IT services across OSD in just a minute. This is on DOD on Federal News Radio, part of the Federal News Network. I'm Jared Serbia. Back on Federal News Radio, part of the Federal News Network. This is on DOD. I'm Jared Serbu. As we continue our conversation with Danielle Metz, the CIO for the Office of the Secretary of Defense. That CIO's office is marking its one-year anniversary this month. And before the break, we talked about the big push to Office 365, including on the high side. And that that's a big jump to the cloud all by itself, obviously. So what what else are you doing to move you know, move yourself into a position where you're ready to adopt those cloud services. Yeah, so what we're doing is we're taking a lot of the experiences that we had in my previous role um, as the Deputy DoD CEO for IE and turning that inwardly to OSD. And so unfortunately, because OSD didn't have a CIO for a long time, they had to kind of figure out themselves what it meant to do cloud. And that was a really hard task. They being each of the 19 components. That is yeah. correct. So each individually trying to figure that out for themselves and not really having the, the uh, resources or community of practices or an entree in to, to, to come together. One of the things that we were able to do is to build that governance structure and creating that identity so we can have a community of practice. The second piece is of what we're doing is we've identified a number of PSAs that either, that are the pockets of excellence, right? Through them kind of forging ahead, failing fast, um, and pushing the envelope, they've been able to figure out what their business processes are to get to the technical makeup of moving to cloud adoption. But what we want to be able to do, similar to what the Army did with, uh, with their ECMA, um, is to create a corporate playbook for OSD. Because what I don't want is each individual PSA to kind of fail on their own and do it in a vacuum. We want to be able to at least standardize what we think the business processes are to help inform the technical uh, processes to, to determine which systems and workloads need to be um, moved to a targeted cloud environment. And so we're partnered um, with DISA's hack um, as well as the CDAO um, to be able to work with the individual PSAs. The other side of the coin that we've struggled with for OSD um, specifically is that we don't have an authorizing official for cloud. And so that makes it extremely difficult to do anything. And so we're working on testing out and piloting um, AO as a service 
um, and some other activities because those those basic elements need to be in place and available to OSD in order for us to even start moving the needle for cloud adoption. And so that that's a lot of the foundational work that we're we're building on right now and we'll pick up in earnest um, this fiscal year. An AO as a service model, how would that work? Would it be somebody from one of the military departments who already has expertise in this, or who would provide that service? Well, right now, uh, we are looking at the CDAO. Um, they've been doing some pilot activities with AO as a service. Uh, Danny Holtzman, who formerly was with the Air Force, is now with CDAO. He has a lot of incredible ideas. He's test driving these things out. We're um, going to be working with him to see if that is something that's advantageous for us to use uh, within OSD as a, a as a model, um, I'm thinking yes, but I want to be able to make sure that um, we kind of put it through the paces to make sure that it is something that is um, consistent and um, sustainable. Um, you're of course coming into this cloud adoption project at a point where the department finally has an enterprise wide cloud computing contract vehicle. Should we assume that most of what you're going to be doing is going to be on JWCC? Absolutely, and that was. The big point for the JWCC was that for those uh, organizations that didn't have access to cloud compute capability, which was all of OSD, um, most of the DAFAs, and all the combatant commands, and it could be used for the military department. So we have um, pilot activities working with the DISA uh, hack to be able to start leveraging and testing out um, the use of JWCC um, for, for the PSAs. In, in sort of a one-by-one one way, or would you imagine doing a task order uh, that, that provides a service for the entire community all at once? Well, I think the it wouldn't be done by the community. It could be done functionally. Got it. Just because of, even though I like to say that we have a lot of things in common, the mission dictates some uniqueness. But there's still, you can categorize from a functional, think HR, think financial, uh, logistics, et cetera. So it's bringing together those functional leads within OSD to be able to devise that. But we're not there yet. I th we're still at step zero, right? <laughs> but that is the long-term vision. I think once we're able to work with building out that corporate playbook, uh, we have like three pathways that we're working and partnered with um, three PSAs on that. That will fold into the next steps of how we will really leverage the the contracting capabilities that we have at our fingertips. I know a lot of what you've been doing here has been just kind of taking the pulse of the community on how, how they're using IT or not um, and, and how they feel about the experience they're getting. Maybe a little too early to, to have a complete picture of that, but what have you learned out of that uh, pretty extensive survey process so far? Yeah, so we started doing our um, user surveys in February. So we're about nine months in with, with the data. The goal is to have a year worth of data so we can really get to some trending and analytics and that will help inform what our uh, modernization strategy would be. We asked three basic questions, standard questions, and then we have one that is, you know, an, an open field uh, response. And a lot of people use that, which I, I think is quite lovely because you glean a lot of information. There's a lot of honesty in that. Um, but the trends that we have started seeing is that a lot more people are returning to work. Um, and coming physically into the office. And so that's been a change since February to, to October of that we've noticed. Um, the other trend uh, worth noting is that when asked if you have the tools you need, the answer is yes. 
But in the free form, that's where it becomes, you realize that we're not asking the question correctly to solicit the right precise response. Because even though I am issuing you, for instance, a laptop or a phone, do they work correctly? Do you have latency? That's not being captured in that one specific question, but you're able to glean that information from the, the freeform um, uh, answer response. So our intent, and we're following exactly the playbook that the Air Force has done, is that once we have our year's worth of data, this will help us uh, refine the types of questions that we ask so that we can get better responses. And this user uh, experience uh, data um, is, is just one data point, right? We have to continue doing our listening surveys. Um, we have to be able to use, um, there's many ways in which the user is able to provide feedback and it's being able to harvest all that, synthesize it and fold it into the strategies to help us kind of with the right uh, levers to ensure that we're, um, we have the right strategy, we have the right implementation plan, we have the right resources to the priority, priorities needed um, to make sure that we are uh, improving the experience for the user. Um, your, your comment about people coming back to work reminds me of, of the experience that y'all had in the early days of Teams when, when you first went to CVR and I think pretty quickly learned that the networks were not robust enough to support that cloud capability. Are you seeing some of that um, as people come back into the office while you're also trying to consume cloud services? Are, are, are you learning that you are going to need to do some network modernization to support that? Yes, I think what, we're, what I would like to call it is that we need to do some network simplification. Right, so we have a lot of networks and we've done um, fits and spurts of doing some sort of upgrades or modernization, but I think we need to be able to make it more simple. And so we have efforts underway, the department has efforts underway um, with the fourth estate network optimization work um, that is ongoing within the DAFAs. We wanna be able to accelerate that to bring that into the Pentagon reservation. But what I think, a lot of the lessons that we learned from the early days of the pandemic and our rollout of CVR and then uh, IL-5 is that we want to make sure that regardless where our workforce is, whether if you're at home working or if you're physically in the office, we want you to have the same standard experience. And right now that's not the case. And so we're working on our policies. We're working on ensuring that we have a three-year life cycle replacement approach. Uh, we're ensuring that, you know, if you have um, some standardization in terms of what your laptop looks like if you're working uh, off-site so that, you know, your, cable, your camera is enabled. You have speaking capabilities so that it's not a glorified teleconference on Teams, but it's an actual virtual experience where you can see and hear, um, you know, the participants, um, which is exactly what Teams is set up to do. But right now, those are, those are kind of like the priorities and the focus that we have within OSD. How do we create a standard experience regardless of where you're working. And I think that kind of gets to the the uh, IT moderniz modernization strategy um, that, that you're working on writ large, right? I mean, we we're talking a little bit about off the air. The, the general idea here is to get toward business outcomes and have people think less about their IT, as you were saying earlier. That's exactly right. So the next, now that we're a year old, now we can focus on what's next. And so we are actively building out our five-year OSDIT enterprise digital strategy. And all the work that we've done this past year is going to be folded into that. So the user experience surveys, the listening sessions, the prioritization of requirements based on the governance structure that we, we have laid out, 
Um, and then the pulse that we have of the technology um, partnered with our our industry partners. And so uh, it's a, a, a five-year vision, really focused, as you said, on the business outcomes. So we're not just delivering technology for technology's sake, but how is technology being used to effectively um, execute a mission to have a more um, substantial uh, business outcome? And it's a way of uh, effectively changing how we communicate, how technologists communicate to the C-suite and to the user base the importance of technology. I think we understand it in our personal lives, right? I don't go to the bank anymore. I use everything on my phone. But we don't seem to have that same expectation in a work setting. And so those are the things that we need to change. So that technology becomes behind the scenes. It's ubiquitous. It's working, right? It's working well. And then you're able to layer on all the activities that you're doing and doing it better because you're more automated. It's more dynamic. It appears to be more seamless. But everyone, the technologists are furiously working in the background to make it work that way. And so that's that's where I see our next steps um, in the next five years of what we're going to be trying to achieve for OSD. We're running out of time here, but before we go, I want to make sure we get in a plug for our friends at ACT-IAC and the upcoming Imagination Conference. Uh, you're the government co-chair, I, I think. Yes, so, that's correct. So tell folks what they should expect and why they should go. Yes, thank you. So it's hard to believe, but October 29th through the 31st, uh, we have the ELC Imagination. Uh, it takes place at Hershey, Pennsylvania. If you haven't registered, please do so online. Uh, the theme this year is The Business of Doing. Uh, we have five tracks that will be covering the grounds of IT modernization, cybersecurity, emerging technology, people. And then we have a fifth track, which is kind of like a witch's brew. So here, because it's Halloween themed, it's nice to have a little bit of fun. But we'll talk about, you know, uh, acquisition, uh, climate change, and executive orders in, in the witch's brew. So a little bit of this, a little bit of that. Um, we have some great speakers that are scheduled to to come uh, talk to us during our plenary sessions. We have the OPM director. We have the um, Fed CIO. Um, we also have uh, the principal deputy for DOD CIO. So you can see it's a perfect cross-cutting of um, federal agencies as well as industry executives coming together to work through challenging uh, problems and advance the cause for um, better government. All right. Well, Ms. Metz, thanks again for coming in and congratulations on your first year. Thank you very much. Appreciate it. Danielle Metz is the CIO for the Office of the Secretary of Defense, and we'll post a link to the OSD CIO's first annual report at federalnewsnetwork.com slash on DOD. There's a lot more info there on all the topics we've been talking about. Another quick break, and when we come back, a conversation with the Army's brand new CIO. That's next on Federal News Radio, part of the Federal News Network. It's on DOD. I'm Jared Serbin. Back on Federal News Radio, part of the Federal News Network. This is on DOD. I'm Jared Serbu. And in the second half of the show, we've got a conversation with another high-level DOD CIO. Leo Garcia became the Army Chief Information Officer this past June. He's not new to the Army or to the CIO role. He was the Chief Information Officer for the Army's intelligence community before that. He talked with my colleague Jason Miller about how he sees the Army's digital landscape and where he wants to go next. I think uh, one of the big things that I'm looking at right now 
as I kind of look at my transition, which has been very interesting, right, from being in a in this very uh, intelligence community heavy role, kind of a little bit more in the shadows than I used to be, uh, and then moving on to to this role has been kind of that new experience of uh, of things that are outside the intelligence community, right? All of a sudden, a, a much bigger broadening, similar issues when it comes to business systems, when it comes to running a much larger uh, enterprise at scale. So a, a great challenge. Really excited that the secretary asked me uh, to join the team and do this. I think the big thing moving forward and, and what I'm really focused on is not being like other, I think a lot of times folks come into new positions and it's like, hey, let's start from scratch, new strategy, new approach. I think we've been on a really good track in the Army. So now it's really about two really important things, right? One is readjusting the RIA stats, right? So in some areas, we may slow down a little bit, get a little bit more heavy on policy, think about how we institutionalize capabilities. And in other areas, we may be turning the RIA stats up real high. Right to move the ball down the field uh, in, in a much quicker pace, and I think uh, as we have this conversation, I think you'll see some of that, some of the areas that I'm going to be focused on. But I'll give you three big ones that are that are kind of important and are really pushing me forward. And that is, you know, we did very quick sprint to cloud, very quick sprint to get and start doing some DevSecOps type stuff. I think right now we're really focused on how where we are today. How do we start? institutionalizing those capabilities, right? Make it a lot easier for folks to onboard, a lot easier to folks to operate. I think we're really in the process of maturing what going to cloud looks like and maturing what DevSecOps looks like. And that's really going to be followed by a whole slew of, uh, of, of policy and guidance work to really shape uh, the Army, whether it be a, uh, a command or, or an acquisition program on on how they do software better and how they get to the cloud in a, in a much quicker way. I think the other piece that a huge focus on is really going to be around uh, institutionalizing this thing we call data. So we got a data plan out the door. We're really working hard on the implementation piece, but now it's the eaches, right? It's really working on how do we get at, at some of the ICAM solutions? How do we start really looking at managing attributes for for accessing data how do we mature the data environment inside the army whether it be kind of more forward-leaning like data science environments on the fly for for soldiers and for folks who have really tough problems or, or what i think is the more institutional thing is how do we start institutionalizing how we manage apis across the board so really excited to be here and really excited to come back and talk to you since it's been a while and that being said i'll, I'll let you have the first question all right so good initial ideas, and we're going to get to all those priorities. I'm going to ask you to maybe take a, a few steps back and talk about that transition so far. It's only been a few months, but there's a lot to learn, a lot to take in. You mentioned that it's a broader role. We've got to deal with things like business systems and the larger enterprise. What are the steps you've taken to go around to say, okay, how do I learn this? What have your meetings been like with Lieutenant General Morrison at G6? He's going to play a big role in what you do. How have you gotten the lay of the land? One of the benefits of having been uh, already in the Army is is a lot of the folks uh, are, are folks that I've worked with in the past and, and on many projects. Coming into the seat, I think my first week, it was like I'd been here for a while already. There wasn't a lot of like all brand new faces, all, all brand new challenges. I think what I've really been focused on is the areas where I did not have a lot of, of play in, such as business systems, is really diving deep with the Office of Enterprise Management and really, really understanding what our business system footprint looks like across the Army, understanding my role as the CIO uh, in support of a defense business systems and really getting them out there and, and, and manage them at scale and securing them. So that has been a, a pretty interesting learning experience. I think one of the, the funny things about the transition here is a lot of the problems are the same 
problems that I dealt with on the Intel side, not very different. I, I was mentioning today to somebody that that the ints are like functional areas and business systems, similar challenges, similar back and forth. So I, I feel like I'm coming up to speed really quick in that space. The part that's been the most challenging, I would say, is, is really coming into and understanding that larger army budget, being very familiar with a small piece of it. What does that look like across uh, the entire army? And really thinking through that next step of maturing the process that we've kind of put in to really get all those digital resources uh, into, into one place to manage at scale the Army's budget. That that has been a, a bit of a learning curve just coming from, from smaller scale uh, to this. I think the big thing has been really going out and reaching out to, to our partners in the environment across the board and lots of help from DOD CIO uh, on really bringing me up to speed on where we are, kind of a, a little bit of the history from their perspective of the Army. So they've been great partners on making sure uh, that I come up to speed uh, pretty smartly. And look, the rest of the Army has been awesome, right? Uh, and one of the good things about kind of already being in the Army is I'm a little bit of a known quantity. Uh, so so a lot of folks kind of knew me already from some of my work on the, on the intel and security side. Uh, so I've been able to really come in and, and focus on those core things uh, and really reduce that spin-up time. That would be difficult for somebody coming in fresh uh, off the street. I think that's a very important piece that we've seen both with you in the Army. We've uh, Venice Goodwine over at the Air Force, you're, you're the new Air Force CIO, same thing. Uh, someone who has kind of had some experience and, and is a bit of a known quantity, and I think that, that makes a big difference. When you talk about business systems, that's been a, a big challenge. I've talked to the folks at PEO EIS in the Army just recently, and we talked about some of their successes. What's the big thing you learned about business systems? Where are they, and, and how big of a challenge is that going to be for the Army? Is that something that – it's going to be part of that focus when you talk about cloud and, and DevSecOps, I'm sure. So I laugh, right? I get I get the first brief and it's like, there's X amount of business systems. And then we're on a good track, EBSC, or, or really that larger effort to converge business systems across the board, moving into the future and moving into 26 and beyond. I, I think it's great, right? Like we have a plan as an army. It's really informing how we manage uh, some of the legacy systems, and it's really starting to reshape how we think about business data and what that looks like in the future as part of our business system convergence efforts long term. So I think it looks really good, right? There's there's a lot of times you come into a job and it's like, wow, there's a lot of work to do here, but there's no plan. I think I, I'm, I'm kind of uh, the beneficiary of some really great folks really spending a lot of time on getting a plan together on what business system convergence looks like and really shaping that future. And, and I'm very comfortable with where we are. I think like anything else, it'll continue to be this balance of changing the process while building new capability, while managing the, the training piece of folks who have to operate these systems. And it's going to be a delicate dance as we move forward. Uh, and at the same time, we have to balance that with maintaining those legacy systems that are still providing capabilities. And again, right, I think some folks this think this is a science. I keep saying this is really the art of orchestrating all those things in tandem over the next couple of years. So I think we're in a really good spot. I like the plan. I think it makes a lot of sense. Now it's going to be, can we execute it at scale and, and very deliberately moving forward uh, to get to where we want to be? That's Leo Garcia, the Army's Chief Information Officer, talking with Federal News Network's Jason Miller on Jason's show, Ask the CIO. More of their conversation after one more break. This is on DOD. On Federal News Network, I'm Jared Serbin.
Back on Federal News Radio, part of the Federal News Network, this is on DOD. I'm Jared Serbu. A few more minutes with Leo Garcia, the Army's new chief information officer, who's been serving in that role since this past summer. He talked with Federal News Network's Jason Miller. You mentioned at the beginning of our conversation kind of the three big priority areas. You talked about the quick sprint to the cloud and DevSecOps. You talked about more focus on institutionalizing data and, of course, the policy. Let's start with the cloud. I think that's a area the Army has been leading uh, with ECMA, the Enterprise Cloud Management Agency. Today, you are where with the cloud and where do you hope to go, whether it's through ECMA or through the Joint Warfighter Cloud Capability, the JWCC contract. Walk me through some thinking about in your priorities around cloud. Yeah, so on JWCC, super excited, right? So uh, again, sometimes you, your experience kind of drives your thoughts on things. I think having been a beneficiary of, uh, of CloudWorks and C2S and C2E on the intelligence side, I think DOD CIO did the right thing. I think JWCC is uh, moving in the right direction for the entire DOD enterprise. We are actively engaged right now on starting to get some task orders, especially on the IL-6 side on JWCC to really run through through some reps. The team has been great at this, uh, at helping shape that with us and kind of working through those initial those initial kinks and friction points. So I'm really excited at what the future looks like uh, and definitely going to make our lives easier, I think, long-term uh, with JWCC up, uh, up and running as we start leveraging it. And look, I think on where we are in the story on cloud, I think it's, it's a great story, right? I think often we talk about multi-cloud and like, yeah, we're just going to do this stuff. I think right now we're we're seeing this space where you know we're up on almost all the cloud providers that are available, but definitely up on uh, on Amazon, Microsoft. Definitely we, a big, uh, pretty decent sized footprint on Google supporting uh, folks in in the training environment and and some of the folks out in the uh, research and lab environment. And I think the next piece is our our move looking at what does uh, what does Oracle look like. We have some opportunities we're looking at there. So I think we're really kind of having having the benefit right now of of cutting across a lot of those uh, cloud service providers. Uh, with obviously our, our our largest footprint being where you know where the Army has had some capability or has already started moving capabilities. Uh, we do have a slew. I think the surprising thing with cloud for me coming into this space from the intelligence community was really, I saw, which I didn't think I was going to see, I thought I would see a lot of programs of record and a lot of big programs in there first. And we have a slew of those, but I think what we've really seen is is commands who have a, a lot of great capability trying to get to the cloud first, understanding the benefit of moving to cloud and then really pushing hard to get there. Sometimes harder, I think, that the throughput's bigger than, uh, than ECMA can handle, but I think we're, we're working to how we mature that process to, uh, to speed things up. But I think we're in a good place as an Army. Uh, definitely a lot of diversity in, in, uh, in capability. And I think like everyone else, right, we continue to learn and refine both the, the process in the cloud, right, how we work costing models around it, how we're resourcing it, how we're contracting for it. I think that's an ever-evolving space. Since I've sat in the seat, we've already pushed out two uh, guidance memos, one around JWCC to start moving the entire army in that way, and then one relaxing some of the constraints that we've had for contracting for cloud support in order to really maximize uh, industry's ability to come partner with us to get there. So I think we're in a great spot. I think we're we're in the what I would call maturing stage of, of cloud right now. Leo, you know you got me excited when you said we pushed out two guidance memos. My little reporter antennas are, are, are going back and forth. So maybe talk a little bit about that first one on JWCC. Uh, we know the DOD CIO put one out saying, hey, 
we're really going to strongly encourage, if not mandate, the use of it. Did you all do the same, or how did you build off that DOD CIO memo? We did. We did. We we pushed a memo out that said we are going to strongly encourage that we go to JWCC. I think right now our, our approach has been um, we need some time to get off kind of camo uh, and where we are in the story there. I think uh, that, that's that been a, a great effort and has allowed us to get a lot of capability in the cloud. I think we, we got to get the team in a good spot to operationalize JWCC. So we really, my guidance to the Army was really, hey, let's focus on JWCC and IL-6. Let's get some reps in. Let's mature the process. Um, and then as we do that, we'll start shifting off and making sure that we're all in, all over, on every network fabric for JWCC. I think that made a lot of sense just because of where we are in the story right now uh, and being sensitive to, we don't want to disturb programs that are in the middle, especially if with, with a hard change in, in how we're contracting for cloud. But the philosophy is JWCC first. So that's really where we're pushing. And then the other one really was an internal army kind of approach to contracting for cloud. We we're probably a little too restrictive uh, in our approach, which really meant that we were not getting best value. So we really pushed hard to open up the aperture to allow uh, commands and PEOs to really go out there and get the right vendor that could support them, whether they were building new things in the cloud or or just getting uh, support to manage inside of VPC. We wanted to make sure that they had the flexibility they needed and, and relax that uh, restriction. Just going back to the JWCC memo real quick, the idea is strongly encouraged first, but eventually you, do you expect camo to sunset? Do you expect people to move off of, okay, I awarded this task order to camo. I'm going to move that task order when the time is right over to JWCC because I'm sure, and this is what I've heard from other agencies, there's a lot of overlap, right? You have Azure on JWCC, you have Azure on camo. There's It's, it's really just a contracting action versus an actual uh-oh, I need to pick up lift and shift, for lack of a better word. Yeah, yeah. No, no, that's fair. No, I, I think your articulation of that is correct, right? It's really a contract in action. No, our our intent is to maximize our use of, uh, of JWCC uh, across the board. So as as we move forward, right, we'll, we'll get more and more task orders on there. And look, I think this is really about, you know, best value. I think as the, as the department and all the services pull their resources together and really start leveraging at scale of JWCC, I think we're going to see those real huge long-term cost savings similar to what uh, the intelligence community saw with uh, C2E. So I think we're going to be moving in that direction. And then just going back, and I know there's plenty to talk about, but you know, any, any new memos, you know, get us excited here. But just going back to the buying of cloud, you said it was a little too restrictive. We really want to make sure we get the right vendors with the right support. Is there anything more you're able to kind of offer? I would say it was a little bit more about we as an army had made an early on decision to minimize a sprawl of cloud support contracts, <laughs> not actually buying cloud, but support contracts through a couple of uh, enterprise agreements that were out there. But we were finding is we we're probably not getting best value. So we really just opened up the aperture uh, so folks could have a, an opportunity to get uh, best value as far as their support contracts for cloud. Leo Garcia is the Army's Chief Information Officer, speaking there with my colleague Jason Miller. And there's a lot more to their conversation. To hear the full interview, check out Jason's show, Ask the CIO. You can listen at federalnewsnetwork.com or wherever you get your podcasts. Earlier in the hour, we talked with Danielle Metz, marking the one-year anniversary of the new CIO's office, serving the 19,000 employees in the office of the Secretary of Defense. If you missed that conversation, this edition of On DoD and all the rest are at federalnewsnetwork.com slash on DoD. That's it for this edition of the show. Thanks, as always, for tuning in. I'm Jared Serbia. So long.
You've been listening to On DOD on Federal News Network. Tune in Wednesday mornings at 11 or subscribe to this show on iTunes or Podcast One. 